How many of you know God gave us a brain? Some of you, that's news to you. I had somebody, I had somebody tell me today, I'm just now realizing that God gave me a brain. I said, really? Because they were like 50. And I said, you're just now realizing God gave you a brain? So he expects, you shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. Tonight a new world is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight, for your blessing on it. Lord, how we need the Spirit of God to open our eyes. The Spirit of God to help us to understand, build our faith, increase our anticipation and expectation of Jesus coming soon and a new world behind Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Jesus is coming soon. And I want to tell you, Cindy sends her love. She's still not where we had hoped she would be by now from that mini stroke. She's struggling with strength, struggling with energy. And so she needs prayer. Now, she's, she's okay, but I told her, I said, look, don't worry about coming. I'm trying to take pressure off of her. I don't want stress on her. Uh, I want her to recover. Because you don't mess with, with a stroke, many or otherwise. You don't. So, but she sends her love. She's watching. Hello, sweetie. There you are. Amen. Everybody say, hi, Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Say, we miss you, Cindy. We miss you. All right, we're good. Now, last time we ended with a beautiful, glorious description of heaven. Think about this. There's going to be streets of gold so pure they're transparent. Now that is purified gold. Gold that is so pure, it's transparent. All sickness, pain, sorrow, weeping, regret, guilt, all of it is gone. There's no more suffering bodily. Can you imagine that? How many of you have noticed the older you get, the more things hurt? As one preacher said, you get to the age where Either it, either it hurts or it doesn't work, one or the other. But none of that, when we have our glorified bodies, none of that in heaven. All pain is gone. Isn't that glorious? Now, in the final chapter, chapter 22, John's going to tell us some more about the new Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to see some of the dimensions of it and so on and so forth. But... Let me, um, let's just begin with some descriptions of where we're going. Now, as I read this, keep in mind, this is where you and I are going. This is where we're going to be one day. Okay? It's going to be this. So let's read, starting at verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now there's heaven. Now remember when I read this, uh, you know, a river, water of life, clear as crystal. Remember that Jesus said when we believe in him, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living, life-giving water. Of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. But isn't it interesting that here in the New Jerusalem, the new city, 
the city that Abraham looked for, whose builder and maker was God, that city is going to have a river flowing through it. What is that old movie, A River Runs Through It? Isn't that a movie? Well, New Jerusalem, a river runs through it. But not like any earthly river. Because any earthly river, is as clear as it might be, it's still dirty. Not this one. It's going to be life-giving. Now I want you to notice verse 2. It flowed down the center, center of the main street. It struck me today, there's a main street in heaven. There's a main street. Well, let's put it this way. There's streets. Did you catch that? There's streets in the New Jerusalem. I never thought about that. I mean, there's going to be, I don't know, if avenues, drives, a boulevard. I don't know what they'll, if but this one, it's Main Street. There's a Main Street. <laughs> On each side of the river grew a tree of life. So flowing down the center of the Main Street is a river. And on the sides of this river are not singular tree of life, but plural trees of life on either side. And look what they're doing. They bear 12 crops of fruit. The understanding here is it's not different kinds of fruit. It's the same fruit. There's 12 seasons where it produces a fresh crop each month. And it's got leaves. And the leaves are used for medicine to heal the nations. Now hold that thought, because I know what you're thinking. What, what do you need healing for? I thought everything was gone. I'm going to explain it. Think with me, though. It's called the tree of life, trees of life. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see the first couple, Adam and Eve, banished from the Garden of Eden and blocked from being able to get to the tree of life. But here in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there's access once again to the tree of life. Wow. Also, leaves from, from that tree heal the nations. Now, I'm going to let a commentator that I read sometimes named Barnes. Here's what he wrote about this. We are not to suppose there will be sickness and a healing process in heaven. That's not what it's saying. Because that is expressly excluded in Revelations 21, verse 4. The meaning is, the life and health of that blessed world will have been imparted by partaking of that tree. And the writer says that, in fact, it was owing to the tree that they who dwell there had, past tense, been healed of their spiritual maladies and made to live forever. So there's not healing that happens in heaven, but there is healing that has taken place already, past tense, for those who have walked in there. They're healed. There's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. And I wonder if the tree of life is not symbolic of Christ. Just a thought. Now, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God, this is verse 3, and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. Now, again, we go back to the beginning, Genesis. And God placed a curse on man, on woman, and on the devil. All right? And that curse has lasted all this time. You, and we're, still, we're seeing the effects of it now. 
The fact that we still have pain and diseases shows the effect of it now. But the day is coming when all of those curses, except what was put on the devil, will be lifted. If you read Romans 8, it says, even the creation of God, and I love this because I love God's creation, and I love the creatures that God made, that they long for, they groan, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, that they would be delivered from futility and brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. In other words, the curse will be lifted off the animal kingdom, the marine kingdom, uh, everything God made that was cursed, it's all going to be lifted. No more curse on anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. So no more cursed ground, no more thorns and thistles. Man will no more be forced to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. Amen. Woman will no longer experience pain in childbirth. I've never experienced that, but I've been in the room. And I found that you don't say much. You don't try to give advice. And I also learned real quick, Lamaze goes right out the window. Come on, honey, breathe, you know, come on. The way, and you hear things and experience things that you know I need to shut up and just pray for my wife. The homes of the blessed will nowhere be cursed by sickness, sorrow, tears. No more caskets. No more goodbyes. No more looking at the body of a loved one and they're not really there. No more. Gone. Verse 4, listen to this. And they will see his face. And his name will be written, look at this, on your forehead. On To every man an answer, I was on tonight. By the way, broadcasting from our brand new beautiful studio. Yeah, it was beautiful. We Probably at least every second or third show, we'll get the call. Somebody wanting to know about the mark of the beast. And we got one tonight. <clears throat> and... Of course, the mark of the beast, we've been over. It's, a, it's, it's really, uh, you, you've sold out to the beast system. You've submitted to the beast system. Somebody wisely put it, before you ever get the mark, your heart has already gone there with the beast, Antichrist, and his system that is evil. And so where does the mark go? Back of your hand or your forehead. What does it mean? It's a mark of ownership. Because the Bible says once you get that mark, it's over. It's toast for you. Don't ever want that mark. Okay? Because there's no coming back from it. That's what it, it seems to intimate in the book of Revelation. But it's a mark of ownership. But look how the devil counterfeited what God does. Because when we go to heaven, we're going to get marked. His name on our forehead. And it'll be, it'll be you are mine and I am yours. Amen? Amen? And there will be no night there, verse 5. No night. No need for lamps or sun. Where? 
in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, in the new world that is coming. There will be no night. For the Lord God will shine on us. No sun, no moon, don't need any stars. It's going to be completely different. And the light we have will be exuding from, emanating from the face of the Lamb. The glory of God. Now I want you to notice something. They will reign. Now when it says they, it's talking about you and me. They, the redeemed, they, look what it says, they will reign forever and ever. Not just be there, but reign. Now, the word reign is is translated from a Greek word that means to be king, to exercise kingly type power. Is that what we're going to do? Don't ask me to explain it because we know very little. We see through a glass darkly. Then we will see face to face, said Paul. But here's the deal. We are, Jesus said, for instance, in one place, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Come into the kingdom. I will make you ruler over much. So what it tells me Of course, Jesus is king, but we're going to rule and reign somehow with him. Paul went so far as to say, we will judge angels. Let that roll around in your noggin for a couple of minutes. We will judge angels. What does that mean? I believe that with Christ, he's going to judge all things. And we will be there with him, reigning with him, judging angels. During the millennial time period, the thousand years, when he rules from Jerusalem, apparently the redeemed are going to be given, they're going to have delegated to them responsibilities where they are ambassadors for the king and they are exercising kingly authority in his name. Doing what? I don't know. I don't know. But it's got to be good. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Right? So these are things that, that are revelation. We don't know these things by discovery. Our carnal minds would never have discovered these things. The Bible is a book of revelation. We're studying the ultimate, the revelation. So it's coming by way of heaven to us. These are things we would not have known had God not revealed them. And so he's revealing to us, you're going to reign. And and how long? Forever. And ever. And ever. You're going to reign. Faithful over little. What little? Whatever he gives you to do. Whatever he trusts you to do. Praying. Witnessing living for him, bearing spiritual fruit, uh, representing him, being salt and light, doing things for his glory and not ours. This Sunday, I'm going to talk about the power of good works, what it means to do good works and how they perfect your faith. 
So when you do a good work, a work, an action to the glory of God, for the glory of Christ in his name, and others are touched because of that, then you're going to reign with him. You've been faithful over little, the little things I told you to do. See, some of you think, well, he doesn't really notice me. He notices Pastor Jeff or some national evangelist or TV people. Um, but not me. I'm just little old me in my little corner of the neck of the woods. And, you know, I, I pray a little bit and I do my best to get by and reach people and pay the bills and be a good Christian. And, and you have a tendency and the devil will do this. The devil will, will undermine you to you in your mind. You won't know that it's him, but he'll try to tell you, you don't count. You don't matter. God's not watching you. Your prayers are not as important as some big shot. But here's the truth. He sees every little thing you do. Even if it's, listen, even if it's practical, even if it's, it seems to you inconsequential or to others around you inconsequential, but it's not. If you do it for his glory, it doesn't matter what humans see you. If he sees you, then you've been faithful over little. I'm going to let you reign over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Now, look at that word soon. Look at verse 7 next. Look, I am coming, what? Soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. So what we're studying in the book of Revelation, if you uh, study it, assimilate it, obey it, where it requires obedience, then blessed are you. There's going to be a blessing on you. Now, he, he says again, I'm coming soon. Another translation will say, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Now, words matter. And I want all of you to understand, Peter tells us, for instance, where we get the Bible, holy men of old were moved on by the Holy Ghost and wrote what the Holy Ghost moved them to write. It's not a, like automatic writing, like all of a sudden they came under a trance. And they became like a separate wife and just began writing in some weird trance. No, the idea is they were born along like a breeze blows a sailboat. They were born along by the Holy Spirit and wrote when he moved on them to write. Now, the Holy Spirit gave them the words. That's why it says all scripture is given by Theonoustos. God breathed out. Okay? So, when you see I'm coming quickly, it's taken from a Greek word that the Holy Spirit gave John. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes with words. So the word, because these skeptics read this, and they go, wait a minute. John wrote that Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Doesn't sound like very quickly to me. Skeptics jump all over this. I've had them come to me with it. 
and say, how do you explain this? Because it's sure not suddenly. But the Greek word used here means not only without delay, like we would understand quickly, but by surprise, suddenly, by surprise. The Greek word he uses that we translate quickly or coming soon in the original language can mean two things. Immediately or by surprise, suddenly. Well, that's in total keeping with Jesus' own description of his return. What did Jesus say about his return? Watch therefore, Matthew 24, 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. So he's not talking about suddenly, as in the next few minutes, but he's talking about in an unexpected, uh, thief-in-the-night kind of way. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That doesn't mean suddenly, it's, talk, it's describing how he comes. Secretly, unexpectedly, uh, when you're not looking for it. You know, a thief doesn't send you an email and say, hey, tonight I'm busting into your house and uh, I'll be there about 1.32 and thought you might want to know. No, no, the whole thing about a thief is they come uh, secretly, They come unexpectedly. They want to take you by surprise. That's the idea. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief suddenly. When you're not looking for it, when you're not expecting it, bang, and you're caught off guard. How'd the fire fall on Sodom? Suddenly. How'd the rain start in Noah's day? Suddenly. And in no time, they were drowning with no way out. So the meaning of quickly or coming soon means unexpectedly, unannounced, unanticipated by the world at large. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, 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 don't worship me. This is an angel saying, I'm, I'm worship a, worshipable. I made that up. I, don't worship me. I'm just a servant of God. Okay? But uh, worship the one who showed this to me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Say the next three words with me. Worship only God. Verse 10, then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, John. Now here we go again, for the time is near. Verse 11, let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Now stop a minute. I know what you're thinking. Was God telling people to be wicked? If you're vile, keep on being vile. 
If you're wicked, keep on being wicked. That's what it says. No. As long as your heart beats, you could possibly be converted. So God would never say to a human being, well, hey, you're in up to your neck in sin, so just go ahead and live the rest of your life in it. God's never going to say that. I'll tell you who will say it. Satan will say it. Oh, I'm in so deep. I've messed up so much. God will never forgive me. I might as well sell out to sin. Satan will tell you that. But God will say, it's never too late. You can always repent. All right? So here's what the verse is saying. It's it's looking into the future. After the consummation of all things, when all the events described in the revelation that we've looked at, um, the 21 judgments are finished, the great white throne is done, then here's what he's saying. Everything after that will be fixed and unchanging. Because after the great white throne judgment, if you're lost, you're in the lake of fire. After the great white throne judgment, if you're saved, you're in heaven. So here's what it's saying. All who were found to be righteous by the time all those things are done, that's the way they're going to be forever. And if you were wicked by the time all those things are done, you're going to be wicked forever. It's stuck. Things are then fixed. Are you with me? Things are fixed. Once you die, there's no turning back. After the judgment, there's no turning back. It's given unto a man to die once, and after this, the judgment. All right? So after the great white throne, however things are, they're fixed forever. If you're lost, you're lost forever. If you're saved, you're saved forever. Verse 12, look, I'm coming soon. You notice how often this comes up? I'm near, I'm coming soon, coming quickly. Bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Do you know the Bible tells Christians, we will all give an account. We'll all give an account of our life. The Christian won't give an account for his sin because it's washed away. We will give an account for our works. How did we obey him? How were we with the little things he trusted us with? How did we do as a believer? Were we obedient? Did we seek him? Did we yield to him? Did we submit to him? Did we seek to honor him? Did we take some flack for him? Did we pay a price? Did we crucify our flesh? Did we walk in the spirit? Did we produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, self-control? Did we produce the fruit of the Spirit? How do we do? We're going to answer for that, but not for our sin. Now, in verse 12, when he says, look, I'm coming soon, that's a different Greek word. Real quickly, let me tell you. It's the ancient Greek phrase, entake, entake, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. And what it means is rapidity of execution after the beginning takes place. The idea is not that the event may occur soon, but when it does occur, it happens with great 
rapidity. Amen. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Amen. Wash their robes is a reference to being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's what it's saying. You know why? Because you're going to go through those gates. And that's the only ticket through those gates. You remember Six Flags when they gave you that little stamp on your hand? Mark of the Beast. No. They gave you that little stamp way back. Maybe I'm dating myself. When I started going to Six Flags, they gave you that little, and you would put it under the black light and it would show. And that's the only way you could get into the ride. We used to try to cheat and smudge it on each other's hand so that there was at least some of it and then try to sneak in. I'm just, I'm, I've repented. <laughs> but we used to try to make that smudge and put it on two or three different people and get in free. Um, ask me if it worked. No, but we tried. But watch this. That's the idea. You couldn't get on the ride without that little stamp. You can't. Go through the gates of the city without the blood. Your robes being washed white. The only pathway to righteousness and to gain entryway through the gates into the new Jerusalem is the blood. That's it. That's it. And I want you to notice the new Jerusalem has walls. Can I say a border? I'm just throwing it out. Look at verse 15, outside the city. Now catch this, everybody. We're getting a picture here. Outside this beautiful city, water, river of life going down Main Street, trees of life, bringing fruit uh, every month. This beautiful bliss, no more pain, no more sorrow. The glory of God is the light of that place, this incredible city. But there's an outside the city. There's an outside. Outside the walls. Outside the gates. And look what he says. Are the dogs. And then he tells us what he means by that. Sorcerers. The sexually immoral. The murderers. The idol worshipers. And watch this, all who love a lie. It means to live a lie. All who love to live as a liar. Now John is moved on by the Holy Ghost here, who's giving him this. So he's giving us just an example of the disqualifying sins. In other words, these people have never been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And these are the sins that condemn them, some of them. Sorcerers, those involved in witchcraft, the occult. Do you know how fast witchcraft is spreading in America? The occult, uh, Wicca, witches, um, occult activity of virtually every kind. It's, it's growing. I wish I brought an article. Maybe I can look it up later. I read something recently how, how quickly it's spreading 
Because when a society spirals down, it goes into moral freefall, and part of the moral freefall always goes into the occult. So he says sorcerers, sexually immoral. Um, those that are living in fornication, adultery, some kind of sexual sin, and have refused to repent. Murderers, idol worshippers, and those that love lies. Boy, Washington's in trouble. That's free, too. Amen. So, now, we, what we see here is, you're either in or out. There's no walking the wall. You're not walking a fence. You're in. You've gone through the gates by way of the blood, or you're out. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I'm both the source of David or the root of David, another version says, and the heir to his throne. I'm the bright and morning star. God had promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be the seed of David. He would come from the seed line of David. So Christ is identifying himself as the fulfillment of that promise. All right? I love the next verse because it's evangelistic. Invitational. And it welcomes everybody who will to come to Christ. Verse 17. I want you to say it with me. This is beautiful. It's almost poetic. Say it with me. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! Let anyone who hears this say, Come! Let anyone who is thirsty, Come! Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Free anyone's. I'm an anyone. Are you an anyone? And I'm a whosoever. Are you a whosoever? Notice, this is, this is the end of the book. And it's invitational. It's evangelistic. This is the last chapter of God's Bible. And it's offering this worldwide invitation to whosoever, anyone. Let him come. Let him come. Let him come. That's why Calvinism is not a true doctrine. Because God does not pick some to be saved and some to be lost. That turns God into a monster, in my opinion. Now, I'm going to hear from some Calvinists. I guarantee you, when it goes on the radio, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. Because how can you square the character of God, God of love, God of mercy, God of forgiveness, God of long-suffering, God of goodness, with a God who would say, well, th this little minority of people, I'm choosing to be irresistibly saved, and the rest of them, I'm not picking them, so they are irresistibly lost. They have no choice. How can you square that with the God of the Bible? No, you can't. Because here it says, come, come, drink. Anybody. Amen. How many of you are glad you're in anyone? Amen. How many of you are glad you're glad you're a whosoever? Whosoever will, let him come. Now next we got a very sober warning as we come into the last verses. Listen to this warning. I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, 
If anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person, uh-oh, the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share, uh-oh, in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Can I paraphrase this, a revised, wickwire, slanted, paraphrase version? Don't mess with God's Bible. Don't mess with it. If you add to it, you're in trouble. If you take away from it, you're in trouble. All the cults have done this. All of them. The Mormons added to the Bible. Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, the various books they produce, and they claim that they are as inspired as the Bible. Huge judgment awaiting that. Jehovah's Witnesses removed words from it and twisted it. They have their own Bible translation, but it's not translation at all. It leaves out key Greek words that totally twist the message. Big judgment coming for that because millions have been deceived by it. See, that's why God doesn't want his word messed with. And if you teach it, you better rightly divide it. Because the teacher, said James, is going to receive many more stripes than the average Christian. That's why I do my very best. I'm not perfect, but I do my very best to rightly divide. Because I'm going to answer to him, how did you tell him about me? How did you tell him about my son? How did you describe Christian living? How did you describe, how did you bring over the scriptures to them? Did you add things to it that weren't there? Did you take things from it because you didn't like it? It, it scares me in a good way. Thank you. And I'm going to say there's modern Bibles, there's modern Bibles, so-called translations, that have added to it with words not found at all in the original manuscripts at all. Uh, I'm going to say it, the Passion Translation. Watch it. It's, oh, I love the Passion. Really? Did you know that there's only one author to it? Only one so-called translator, just one. And for every other translation, you'll learn this in the next weeks to come. I will teach you this. Then in solid translations, there were whole committees of scholars that went over every verse. And who masters of the language. And translated the Bible as responsibly as they could. Passion only has one translator. And he doesn't even really know the languages like he should. And there's all kinds of things added to it. It may read pretty, poetically. But if you said to me, should I get a passion translation? I would immediately say... Please don't. It's very quiet in here. There's paraphrases. Living Bible, it's a paraphrase. The message, it's a paraphrase. The message, there's a lot of things in the message. I go, nah, 
I could never use that. Because a paraphrase is not a translation. It's, it's the, the author putting into it their understanding of the scripture. It's more like prose. It's not somebody taking Hebrew words and Greek words and translating them as, as, much as, as best they can into another language. It, it's just, here's what this verse says to me, and they write it down. And the message, a lot of time, goes into places that I, I, could, I would never stand up here and quote it. Um, but if you wanted to give me that over the passion, I would take 10 the messages over the passion. And it's not the only one. There's others out there. They're just awful. They're not translations. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Boy, am I going to get feedback on that too? I can feel it coming. Because there's people, oh, they love the passion. Well, then you don't understand languages. You don't understand translation. And if you did, you wouldn't have it. My mic just dropped on me. Is that God? <laughs> okay, no, I'm good. All right. Um, the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, ends with a promise and an expectation and a blessing. And here we go. Here's the promise. He who is uh, the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. That's the promise. Now the expectation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm expecting it based on the promise. And then there's the blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. All right. I'm going to take two questions because I know there's some out there. Does anybody have a question? And I'll do my... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, because of you, I read the NLT now. I really like the translation. But... Um, what would you recommend is the best and most accurate translation? New American Standard, um, New King James, and yes, you King James people, I'm going to say King James, but it's, it's, not, it's definitely not the best. It's one of the best. You say, well, now you've committed sacrilege. No, I haven't. I'll explain it to you when we do our classes later in a few weeks. But New American Standard is... The best word-for-word word translation out there, Greek to English, Hebrew to English, it's the best word-for-word, word, New American Standard. Uh, New King James. The New Living Translation is, is good. The NIV has some problems, but it, it's overall a good translation. Um, the English Standard Version is a really good one. Now, I'm just naming a few. So those are good ones, all of those. And... Lord, there's how many out there? There's tons of them. And I am going to go into all of this when we do our, our study on translations. Okay, who's next? Back there. Okay, so I have small children. So when Christ returns, how does that work? Are they raptured with the church? or? Now, say that again. I'm sorry. I have small children. So okay. my concern is, if they're too young to fully understand when Christ returns, are they raptured with the church? Right. How do you explain it to them? Yeah. Um, I would look, when you're dealing with children, children love illustrations. 
Now, I'm not a children's pastor. It's the one function in church ministry I've never done, and God knew what he was doing. (laughs) Right? But I do know this. They understand illustrations. If I was dealing with children, I would look for illustrations. Uh, You know, daddy leaves for work. Um, But we know that later today, daddy is coming back. It may seem like he's gone a long time, but we know and we expect daddy is coming back. Then I would say, sweetie, you take that and you look at Jesus. Jesus went to heaven and he's gone a long time. But the same way daddy says he's coming back and we expect it and we're not shocked when he walks in the door, Jesus is also coming back. Okay, I so- would do something like that. What if they're too little to understand? Like, I have a two-year-old, so when he comes back, will she be raptured up if she's too little to understand yet? Um, Do you know? That's So you're asking, are little children raptured? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Scripture doesn't say. So we have to look at the Scripture in its entirety, because there's not a verse that says little children are raptured. It says believers, the redeemed, are raptured. Uh, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about a believing parent sanctifying the children. You take a two-year-old, I believe a two-year-old is for sure uh, before the age of accountability. They don't have any grasp of sin. Um, they can't, I don't think, unless they're precocious, make it a, a knowledgeable decision for Christ at two, maybe you've had some that did, that's great, but I guarantee you they'll redo it later when they understand more. That's why I don't believe in infant baptism, because they don't know what they're doing. They're just getting wet to them, and it's scary to them, unless they get sprinkled. Then to them it's raining. So, So people come to me and they say, I got baptized as a little child, should I do it again? And I said, if it's me, I would, because you didn't know what you were doing. So I don't believe infant baptism is taught. Here's why, because baptism, water baptism, doesn't save you. Those that do infant baptism, I believe, believe it saves them, but it doesn't. Water baptism is an act of obedience. It doesn't save. Whether they would go in the rapture, I've been asked this on the radio, and it made me have to look into that and go, you know, there's not a verse, one way or the other. Um, So does the parent that is a believer sanctify the child in a way that they would be raptured up? I, I don't know. Now, if you ask me my opinion, I don't believe the Lord is going to leave little children if both parents are believers and they're raptured, I don't believe he's going to leave little two-year-olds walking around the house uncared for. I don't. I, I don't believe that. But I have to lean on what I know about the character of God because there's not a verse. So I'm just being honest with you. If you can find a verse, come tell me so I can answer it better next time on radio and here. But there's not one. Okay. But I do believe, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? 
And so I trust in the character of God. When I don't understand God's hand, I trust God's heart. Okay? It's the best I can do. Hope that helps. Yes, sir. So you said that, or it's, it's written that um, if anybody takes away from the Bible. Put a little closer. It's written that if anybody takes away from the Bible, they're cursed, right? Well, I think you mentioned this before, but I'm, I'm uh, hoping to get um, clarity on it. But uh, what about the books that have been taken out, right, um, that are, like, hidden away or whatever? You know, Have you ever heard of that, where, like, in the Vatican they have? Well, you're talking, generally, you're talking about the Apocrypha. Either the Apocrypha or the Book of Enoch. Because the Book of Enoch is not in the Apocrypha. It's a standalone. Book of Enoch is, I don't know why, but there's a lot of attention given to it in our day. Um, And people claim, for instance, that Jude quoted the Book of Enoch because he says, Enoch prophesied, the Lord my God will come and ten thousands of his saints with him. So they say that's quoting from the book of Enoch, but it's not. It's quoting from Enoch the man who lived in ancient times not far removed from Adam. Mm. And he was a prophet. And Jude, by because we don't have his prophecy in the Old Testament. It's not given. But Jude, by the revelation of the Spirit, tells us that the man Enoch prophesied that when there's no other biblical record for it. But he prophesied it. So uh, it's from the man. The book of Enoch is what we call extra biblical, as is the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha, if you ever read, I forget how many books are in it, 15, something like that. The Catholic Church puts it in their Bible. Protestants don't. It's very important that we understand that the church councils that met way back 3rd century, 4th century, you can give me, rejected the Apocrypha. Listen carefully. It's an intertestamental collection of books. They were written between Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, the arrival of John the Baptist. Okay? So the intertestamental period lasted 400 years. It was 400 years of prophetic silence. You have no official prophetic word from God in those whole four centuries. Lots of incredible things happened during the intertestamental period. Just no word from God. God, it's it's called the silent years. But the Apocrypha was written during that time period. So when Christ began to teach, the Apocrypha was fully there. No doubt Paul the Apostle knew about it, being the scholar that he was. Um, I don't know if Peter, James, John, and them, the fishermen, I don't know how much they knew about it, but surely the scholars did. Now I want you to note, Jesus never once quoted the Apocrypha. He never quoted the book of Enoch, which was also intertestamental. He never quoted it. The Apostles never quoted the Apocrypha. But did they quote the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? Jesus quoted the Old Testament all the time. He validated Adam and Eve. He validated the flood. 
He validated Jonah and the whale or the great fish. He validated Sodom and Gomorrah. He validated the flood because he referred to them historically. But he never once quoted the Apocrypha. You know why? Because it wasn't inspired. And if you read the Apocrypha, it's crazy, baby. It's a bunch of fairy tales. It's loony stuff. And it doesn't take you long digging into the Apocrypha to figure out why the church fathers rejected it. So, so those were removed, but they were never part of what we call the inspired text. Okay? All right, that's good. Let's stand together. We're going to get into some good stuff. Like, how many of you want to learn things like that? All right? Okay. Because these are things every believer needs to know because our Bible's under attack, our faith is under attack, and we need to know how to answer it. Amen? All right, let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible book of Revelation. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for a blessing come upon us because we went through it. Thank you, Lord, for the certainty of your book, the Bible. Thank you for the sure word of prophecy. And help us, Lord, to honor you, bring forth fruit to you, reach people for you in your name, with your love. Touch them with acts of kindness. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner and the hospital bound. Help us, Lord, to do all these things in your name, to be faithful over the little, whatever the little is you've entrusted to us, that we might be made rulers over much. (laughs) We stand amazed at your word, Lord, amazed at your word. In Jesus' name.